A change in policy at the border leads the state to step up enforcement efforts. And Texas will continue to work relentlessly to defend our borders. How the end of Title 42 is boosting efforts by state leaders and lawmakers to give Texas more control at the border. Billing errors, customer service complaints, auto pay problems. You've told our investigators about concerns with the state's tollway operations, the response when we took those complaints to lawmakers at the state capitol. Allegations of misconduct fuel a rare decision to kick a House member out. Meanwhile, a senator's dedication leads to a milestone to celebrate. How two very different votes made history at the capitol. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. Communities along the Texas border are facing a new surge of migrants after the end of Title 42 restrictions. In the days leading up to the change, state leaders made moves to prepare. On Monday, Governor Greg Abbott deployed a new unit he calls the Texas Tactical Border Force. Military aircraft carried equipment and hundreds of National Guard troops from Austin to the border. They will be deployed to hot spots along the border to intercept, to repel, and to turn back migrants who are trying to enter Texas illegally. The governor ordered a similar deployment last December when he sent troops to El Paso to seal off areas where people were crossing the border illegally. Border enforcement is supposed to be handled by the federal government, but Texas lawmakers are moving closer to creating a new state border protection unit. The House approved HB 7, which includes an amendment that would create a new agency under the Texas Department of Public Safety. The agency would oversee the border protection unit. That unit would have authority to arrest unlawful border crossers, build border barriers, search vehicles, and more. Our communities along the border are being overrun and overwhelmed. And it is our responsibility as a state to support the local communities. But we have to stop the illegal activity in between the ports of entry. People from border communities protested at the Capitol before the vote. They say state leaders too often see their communities as places to police, not protect. A lot of families down in the border are mixed status families. You know, the, the parents may be undocumented, their kids are, they were born here. So this would instill a lot of fear and anxiety in people that live in the border and, and we don't want that. The legislation would significantly expand the state's authority over the U.S. border. It still needs Senate approval. If it becomes law, it would likely face a challenge in federal court. For Insight, we're joined by Sandra Sanchez from Border Report. Sandra, you've been reporting from Brownsville all week. How has the situation changed there as the Title 42 policy winds down? Hi, Josh. As you know, it's been a mad dash to the border in Brownsville, Texas for the past couple of weeks. Over 30,000 migrants, mostly Venezuelans, have crossed the Rio Grande from Matamoros, Mexico, into Brownsville. But as Title 42 sunset, we're not expecting to see the mass numbers turning themselves into Border Patrol because now they face additional consequences for coming across illegally. Instead of Title 42, we're seeing migrants being processed under the rules of Title 8. What's different for people crossing the border now? Right now, they're having their biometrics taken. They're being scanned by these quick cell phone devices at this staging area. It's called Camp Monument. This is a pop-up processing facility that Border Patrol and CBP officials erected in two days uh, to hold the numbers that they were seeing coming across. 
The migrants are staging on, on this dirt levee in Brownsville and they're lining them up in tents and they're taking all their information. Now under Title VIII, migrants will be sent back if they don't enter the United States under legal pathways. According to Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, there will be consequences, you know, up to a five-year ban for trying to re-enter the country, 20 years if you try to come back before that time, and they also face criminal prosecution. Some of the ways that they can legally enter mean that they have to apply through the CBP-1 app for an asylum interview at a U.S. port of entry. This app has had a number of glitches. A lot of migrants south of the border say they can't access it. Earlier this past week, Governor Abbott uh, made news when he deployed a new tactical unit of National Guard troops with orders to intercept and turn back migrants trying to enter Texas illegally. How have people along the border responded to that deployment, Sandra? You know, it's been a big show of force. Um, they have done practices in the streets. It, it's very visible that they are here. Um, and I think a lot of that is deterrence to tell the migrants south of the border don't come. The uh, DPS, uh, the troops that have come down through Governor Abbott also have unspooled miles and miles of barbed wire and concertina wire along the Rio Grande. But, you know, I spoke to migrant advocates who have crossed and watched as migrants swim across and then they help one another to climb under the wire, um, basically waiting for law enforcement to move out of that area and then they dash under the wire and into the United States. Yeah, you've been following organizations that work to help migrants, as you said. How are they handling the number of people crossing the border? I mean, it, it, it's a large number, so it's more than these individual cases. Well, they're absolutely overwhelmed. Um, in Brownsville, there's a welcome center. It's a city building, but it's a couple different NGOs that operate it. They can handle a thousand people. Well, they've had almost double that amount. Um, they need pallets of water and food and volunteers. They're constantly asking people to go to Sam's Club to buy new products for them. The Ozanam Center, a few miles away, is the only facility where migrants can spend the night for free, but it only has a capacity of 250. And as you know, that's the site where across the street there was a, at the bus stop, uh, eight men were mowed over by a vehicle. Many of those were migrants recently. And so many people are actually afraid to go to Ozanam. And McAllen, Texas, which is about 65 miles to the west, Sister Norma Pimentel tells me, they can accommodate 1,500 people at the Humanitarian Respite Center in downtown McAllen each day. And then she's also asked other parish priests as well as organizations to open their doors to help excess flow of migrants. We've also seen law enforcement and troops sent to the border. What's the long-term plan for communities to handle the growing number of migrant crossings? Yeah, you know, like I said, they're making these preparations through parks and other NGO um, facilities, but as and they have also declared several disaster declarations that will open them up for federal funds, state funds. Um, right now, it's kind of a wait and see. You know, everyone doesn't know whether they will continue to come across or whether the migrants will switch to an evasion tactic where they will try to not encounter law enforcement. Right now, what we've been seeing for weeks is just groups turning themselves in. and. I suspect that they, once they understand Title VIII has serious consequences, 
that they're going to switch and um, perhaps go to areas where there isn't border fencing, where there aren't as many enforcement troops and try to cross. All right, Sandra Sanchez from Border Report, thank you very much. Sanders, part of our reporter team uh, covering stories and issues along the southern border. You can see the complete coverage online now at borderreport.com. Hugs and tears of joy after a vote to advance gun control legislation. Why the celebration did not last long. History made in two separate votes at the Capitol. The stories behind lawmakers who made a lasting mark on the legislature this week in very different ways. Digging deeper into problems with the state's toll operations. Now we're taking your complaints to the Capitol. Lawmakers look for solutions using your text tag troubles as fuel for policy change. After the deadly mass shooting at a shopping mall in Allen, a Texas House committee approved a bill to raise the age to buy certain semi-automatic rifles from 18 to 21. That bill had been stalled in committee for several weeks. Families of children killed at Robb Elementary in Uvalde cheered and hugged lawmakers after the committee vote, but their celebration did not last long. One day later, the bill failed to advance out of the calendars committee, meaning no chance for a vote before Thursday's bill deadline. Democrats then tried to revive the bill by adding it as an amendment to another gun-related legislation. A last-ditch effort came a few hours before the deadline. If we're going to talk about the problems of mass violence, we have to talk about every single one of them. I have supported school security. I have supported police accountability. I have supported getting public information done the right way. But I also support common sense safety reforms like this. If we're not willing to have the entire discussion, then we're doing a great disservice, not just to the families that deserve it in Uvalde, but to the entire state of Texas. Republicans blocked efforts to bring the legislation to a vote. The legislation is a priority of families of the Uvalde shooting victims. The gunman in that school shooting bought two AR-15 style rifles just days after his 18th birthday. While the raise the age bill failed, lawmakers did pass legislation to loosen certain gun restrictions. On Tuesday, the House approved a bill to relax enforcement of carrying a handgun in a prohibited place. The vote brought heated criticism from Democrats. You can't offer thoughts and prayers on Monday and then debate a bill to loosen gun regulations on Tuesday. House members debated HB 2960 and passed it late Tuesday afternoon. The bill creates a good faith exception to the law. It would allow people to avoid a penalty if they mistakenly carry a gun into an area where firearms are not allowed. It now heads to the Senate for consideration. It hasn't happened in nearly 100 years, the rare move to expel a lawmaker from the Texas House. It is about the integrity of the House and the discredit reflected upon this institution. How accusations of sexual misconduct led to a representative getting kicked out. First, we take your text tag troubles to the state capitol. How lawmakers are looking at solutions to your tollway billing and customer service complaints. So we're at the Capitol today and we're going to be visiting all the lawmakers on the House Transportation Committee and the Senate Transportation Committee to get these packets in front of them. So these are all the viewer tips that we've received related to text tag issues. So over 150 since, since 2020. 
everything's related to tolls and customer service and billing problems that viewers have been talking about. And also you've compiled the list of toll-related legislation that lawmakers could be considering. Correct, yeah. Maybe there's a way to fix some of these problems right here at the state capitol. There's a 1E12. Hi, how are you? Good, I'm Josh, this is Dalton, we're with KXAN TV. Everyone is trying to get the lawmakers' attention right now, so that's a very busy day at the Capitol. Lots of different pieces of legislation and interest to take up, so we're fighting for the attention of the lawmakers today for sure. What's the next number? The Senate side, yep. 1E9. Alvarado, Carol Alvarado. Carol Alvarado. All right, let's try this. We are hoping to speak to the senator. We know she's on the transportation committee, and we are hoping that she would be able to take a look at this. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing by. So whenever it comes up, make sure that it's part of her docket. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, are there any others on this floor? I believe so. Uh, 1E5, this vice chair, Royce West. Okay. So I am familiar with the problems billing and tolls and how they can accumulate on you. Yep. I'll take a look at it. Thank you very much. You know, lawmakers might not like to see an investigative reporter coming into their office with a stack of packets, but I think in this case, we're really just wanting to inform them and help them make better considerations as they're looking at solutions. Right. A lot of times this is the first time that the lawmakers might be hearing about this issue, so it's really just kind of an awareness campaign. Right. Thank you for your advocacy. You know, most of the stuff that we learn comes from investigative reporting such as yourself, so we're appreciative of what you do. We really appreciate you taking time. Government needs to be here to serve the people, and for us to be able to help you to do that, to spread the right, the truth, the message, and what's really going on, please count on us. The lawmaker you just saw speaking with us is the Texas House Transportation Chair. He said our team's research would be valuable as his committee considers legislation to require TxDOT to perform a sweeping study comparing the operations of every tolling entity across the state and how they deal with error rates, customer complaints, processing speeds, and billing practices. If it passes, the results could be crucial to fixing many ongoing text tag troubles. But as our Will Dupree found, there's a lot of competition at the Capitol and and time is running short in the session. Texas lawmakers waded through an ocean of bills filed this year. And since a legislative session lasting only 140 days goes by quickly, a few issues floated to the top of the priority list. School choice. Property tax relief. School security and safety. This time around, a topic impacting Texas drivers barely made a splash. Legislators put forward a limited number of proposals just eight bills we could find to change how the state's tolling systems operate. This is one of those things that I think that uh, is a proper role of state government looking out for the people of Texas and protecting them. Republican Senator Bob Hall reintroduced a bill that he's filed every session since taking office in 2015. The legislation would create a uniform billing system for toll operators and limit the fees they can charge if a driver does not pay on time. Paul says that remains the source of a lot of complaints. They'll send the bill to the wrong address or to an old address. It'll, it'll build late fees on, on top of late fees on top of late. The next thing you know, for a, for a $5, $3 
Tollville, they've got hundreds if not thousands of dollars in fines. Drivers facing big toll bills could get some help if another state lawmaker has his way. We have a, a package of bills to help provide some immediate relief to working Texans across our state. Democratic Representative James Tallarico proposed using some of the state's budget surplus to cover the cost of tolls for one year. You know, unfortunately, our state has refused to invest in public highways and roads like we used to, and now we're putting it on the backs of Texans to pay for their own roads. During this time of global inflation, I think it's the least we can do to provide a little bit of relief with these toll fees. In previous sessions, a few lawmakers spoke out more than others about billing and technology problems that persist with Texas tolling systems. I think Texas needs a wholly different way to look at this. You can get a text tag that's supposed to be good in Houston, in Dallas, in El Paso, in, in Austin, but the reality is tolls are being operated by different entities and it's not clear. Those lawmakers are no longer at the state capitol, but the leaders who do remain. Texans pay twice say they'll keep pushing forward their fixes despite any roadblocks. When you do it a couple of times and people come to understand that what the lobby is telling them is not true and that they're actually serving the people of Texas, they tend to change their positions on things. I'm hopeful this is not a red issue or a blue issue. I hope this is an issue we can all support. Will Dupree, State of Texas. Thank you, Will. Those lawmakers say toll reform in Texas usually meets a lot of pushback, mostly from tolling entities themselves. And as the session winds down, we have links to those bills so you can track their progress in this story on our text tag troubles page. Just scan the QR code on the screen with your smart device to explore it all online now. You can find more to that story and a dozen others in our special digital investigative project. The tale of two historic votes at the Capitol. How one came out of a low moment for the legislature, while the other highlighted an example of a lawmaker's excellence. On Tuesday, the Texas House voted unanimously to expel its first member in nearly a century. The vote came one day after Representative Brian Slayton submitted his resignation amid allegations of sexual misconduct with an intern. It's been about a month since allegations against the East Texas Republican first came up in the legislature. The House General Investigating Committee released its report last weekend. The report states that Slayton invited the intern to his Austin apartment. Investigators allege he gave alcohol to the 19-year-old woman, and she told investigators after drinking she felt dizzy. The committee's report condemned Slayton and questioned whether the intern could have consented to sex. Slayton did not comment on the report, but committee chair Andrew Murr said that he did not dispute the findings. Murr spoke on the House floor, pushing the expulsion vote forward even though Slayton resigned the day before. Resignation does not escape the need for this body to consider expulsion today. Members, this recommendation is not easy. There are no high fives and it is not driven by politics. It is about the integrity of the House and the discredit reflected upon this institution. Immediately after the expulsion vote, workers climbed ladders placed at the front of the House chamber to remove Slayton's name from the voting board. The last time the House expelled a lawmaker was in 1927. 
Back then, members voted out two representatives accused of bribery. We want to turn the focus to a different historic vote at the Capitol. This one's an example of excellence and commitment by a lawmaker. The Texas Senate paused Wednesday to recognize State Senator Judith Zaffarini. The Democrat from Laredo reached the milestone of 70,000 consecutive votes. She has not missed a vote since 1987. Members, to put this accomplishment in perspective, if you started today to record 70,000 straight votes, it would take you 36 years. That's 18 sessions. That would be the year 2059, in case you're wondering. Last November, we told you how Senator Zaffarini has a tradition of being the first in line to file legislation each session. Back then, she gave us some insight into her approach to the job. When I came to the Senate, I had no idea that they kept voting records, none. Again, it was just what I happened to do, how I happened to conduct myself. It's a responsibility to serve in the Texas Senate. It's a responsibility to represent constituents and to be there and to vote. Zaffarini told us she attributes her punctuality and consistent attendance to lessons from her early Catholic schooling. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.